Welcome to the Revo Podcast. Revo Church is one church in two locations with a vision to spark a revolution of life change through Jesus. We hope to accomplish this through our core values of love big, serve hard, live bold, grow deep, and move forward. For more information about our service times and locations, please visit our website at discoverrevo.com. What's up, Revo? My name's Nathan. I'm one of the pastors here. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for hanging out with us this morning. I got a confession to make. I just want to be happy, okay? You can call that shallow, you can call that superficial, whatever. I just want to be happy. I want to be happy in my marriage. I want to be happy in my relationships. I want to be happy with my finances. I want to be happy with what I have. I want to be happy with where I'm at in life. And come to find out, Scripture actually it talks a lot about what it means to be happy. Uh, In fact, the book of Philippians is the book that we've been going through over the past few weeks. It's a whole book on what it means to be happy and how the church, followers of Jesus, can be happy. It it mentions happy or some form of the word happy more times in the book of Philippians than any other book in Scripture. And so we like to call this the, the happy book. So we're going through the happy book in Scripture. And we've talked a lot about happiness already. We learned that happiness is a choice. Let me tell you why that's really good news for you. If happiness is a choice, then that means today you can be happy. You don't need a new job. You don't need more money. You don't need a different marriage. You don't need a marriage. You don't need kids. You don't need less kids. Maybe you need less kids. That may. You don't, you don't need anything to be happy. Today. Nothing in your life has to change. You can make a choice. Happiness is a choice. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not a destination. Happiness is a choice for us. And so we've been unpacking this idea of happy. But today, I want to talk to you about something that, that really robs our happiness. And this is a sneaky thing because every person in this room has it. So this sermon is applicable to you, whether this is your first time in church ever or your first time in a long time or you call Revo home. Every person has this trait in their life. And whether you realize it or not, it robs us of our happiness. It may be, it may be the very reason why you are not happy today. And so we're going we're gonna to talk about that. But I want to I see if you can guess it. I'm going to tell you some things that this, this one idea, this, this one happiness robber in our life, I'm going to give you two things. I'm going I'm to show you some things that it causes us to do, which leads to our unhappiness. And I'm also going to tell you some things that it keeps us from doing to, 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 to cause us to be happy. And so just try, try to see as I, as I unpack these, try to see if you can guess what this thing is in every one of our lives that is robbing us of our happiness right now. First of all, it keeps us from celebrating someone else's success. Okay, This happiness robber will keep you from celebrating someone else's success. Secondly, it, it keeps you from apologizing even when you know you're wrong. And that's nobody in here, but I'm talking about other people outside of here. When they know they're wrong, they don't apologize, and so it keeps them from doing that. Here's what it even does. It'll keep you from apologizing when you are 5% wrong and the other person is 95% wrong, right? It'll, it'll keep you, it'll actually keep you from doing that. It'll keep you from forgiving someone that has hurt you in the past, no matter how long ago it's been. It'll rob you of that joy and it'll keep you from from offering forgiveness. It keeps us from admitting weaknesses that we have. Again, not us, other people. We don't have any weaknesses. But people that have weaknesses, it keeps them from admitting those things. It keeps us from admitting when we need help. 
Some people are hurting, some people are struggling, some people are in desperate need of help, but this thing in our lives, this robber of our happiness, keeps us from admitting that. Last of all, it keeps us from admitting that you don't know what you're doing, even when everyone else around you knows that you don't know what you're doing. Now, how embarrassing is that? Maybe that's not you. Maybe you know some people like that, but you know that they don't know what they're doing. Everyone else in the room knows that they don't know what they're doing. They are the only one that doesn't know that they don't know what they're doing and what they're talking about. And they'll never be able to admit it. It it causes from this character trait. Here's what it causes us to do. This trait that robs our happiness, it will cause us to argue a point even after we realize that we have no point or our point is wrong. We will keep arguing. Like, even if in the middle of the argument we're like, ooh, you know what? I'm wrong, but I can't give it up now. Like, I'm too, I'm too deep into it. I can't let them know that I know that I'm wrong because they may not know that I'm wrong. They know that you're wrong, okay? But we keep arguing. It, ca- it causes us to do that. It, it causes us to criticize others. Anytime we criticize others, the root of it is this one thing that, that steals our joy and steals our happiness. It will cause you to lie about things in your life to impress others. It'll cause you to lie about how much money you have, about how happy your life is, about how much joy and satisfaction that you have. It'll it'll cause you to lie in your life. Finally, it'll cause you to buy things to impress people that aren't even paying attention to you anyway. It'll cause you to buy stuff to try to gain the attention or the respect or the approval of people in your life that, spoiler alert, they don't care anything about you anyway. They're not looking at you. They don't care about you. They don't know what you have. And then it gets worse because then we have to say, hey, did you notice that I bought this? Or did you see that I had that? Or did you see this? And then we have to start bragging on ourselves. Who knows what it is? Pride. Pride. Pride will keep us from all of those things. And pride, this is crazy, pride actually robs us of our happiness. Pride will cause us to see the mistakes in other people but refuse to admit the same mistakes that we have in our life. That's what pride will do to you. Pride, another thing that it does to all of us is pride. Pride is that little voice in your head that when you just heard that this sermon was about pride, you said, oh my goodness, I wish this person were here. Man, I wish my boss were here. Hey, are the sermons online? Discoverevo.com? Let me write that down because I'm getting ready to email this. As soon as it goes on, I'm going to email this to about 75 people. Man, I can't believe my boss isn't here. This is the one day my husband decided not to come. He's talking about pride. He needs to hear this. Hey, hey, guess what? Our pride makes us feel like this is all about somebody else when in actuality he or she may not be here, but God brought you here, so maybe God wants to say something to you. Let me, let me go to this side, because this side right here is, they give me the stink eye over here. You want to know how dangerous pride is? Pride will cause you to do a self-evaluation. It'll cause you to look in the mirror and ask yourself, do you struggle with pride? And pride will say, nope. No, you sure don't. That's not, you, you, got, you struggle with a lot of other things, but it's not pride. Pride will tell us that we don't have a pride problem. Like, that's how dangerous it is. That's how crazy pride is. That's how it works in our life. How sneaky and deceptive is that? That we can actually convince ourselves our pride creeps in and convinces us that we don't have pride. 
that this is for somebody else. This is something that, that we actually don't, don't struggle with. And so here, here's, here's what I want to get to. There's a direct correlation with pride and our happiness. You may not realize that, but there's absolutely a, a correlation to these things. Um, pride, actually in Proverbs 13.10, says pride always leads to arguments. Pride always leads to conflicts. And I want you to take a look at this right here. here here's what happens. Here's the correlation. Pride leads to conflict in our lives. And conflict always leads to unhappiness. I don't know a single person in here that would be willing to argue against that right there. Like, I don't know anybody that says, you know what, when I have conflict in my life, like when it's in turmoil and there are all kind of problems, that's when I'm happiest. You know, that's just my sweet spot. I like to operate in there where they're like, like my marriage is falling apart and my finances are struggling and I hate my job and I am really happy right now. Like, nobody is going to say that. So that's the correlation. There's, there's, a, there's a reflection of where, again, Proverbs says, when, when pride appears, conflict follows. It, it's inevitable. When, when that becomes a part of our lives, like that's, that's, that's the correlation. Pride always leads to conflict. It leads to conflict at home, in our marriage, at our job, with our boss, with our relationships, with our finances, with the lifestyle that we're trying to portray all of those things, pride is directly connected. So what's Paul's answer, right? If pride robs us of our happiness, so Paul's given us answers on how to be happy. And we tackle this. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 2 today. If you have your Bibles, you can go there or flip it on your digital Bible or look at the big Bible behind me. But Paul actually gives us the answer on how to, to fight pride. But before I give you, there's just one word, one word. Before I give it to you, I want to tell you this. 100% guarantee, money back guarantee. Whatever you paid to get in the door, I will refund your money if this doesn't work, okay? 100% guarantee that if you practice this and you grasp this idea, that you'll be happy. 100% guarantee. But before I tell you what it is, got to warn you. There's a couple of, couple of different warnings that come with this word. The first warning is this. What I'm going to say today is 100% countercultural, Okay? Like, nobody else is going to say what I'm saying today. Nobody else is going to say what Paul is saying. You, you won't hear this anywhere else. So that's warning number one. Warning number two is this. When I talk about it, when we look and learn together from Scripture what the key to happiness is, it's not going to be natural. You're going to hear this word and say, nah, nah, that doesn't make sense. That's, he need, he's preaching next week's sermon. He got his words confused. Like, that makes absolutely no sense. It's not natural for us. None of us wake up with this trait. None of us are, are naturally born with this. So it's going to be a struggle. And third is this. Here's the warning. I hate to break this to you. But this week, you will be given an opportunity to exercise what God says here, and he will prove to you that his word is true. You will be given an opportunity to put this into practice. And I believe at the end of the week, you'll be like, you know what? God was right. God was right. This, this robber of my happiness, if I will just turn from pride and embrace this, this key to happiness, then I will be happy. You ready? You want to know how to kill pride in your life? Humility. Now, before you get up and leave, okay, because I know, like, humility, no, nah, forget that. Nobody wants that. I don't care about that. Let, let me just show it to you like this. Humility leads to peace, and peace leads to happiness. It's the exact opposite of conflict. See, when conflict goes up, happiness goes down. But when peace goes up in our life, happiness goes up. 
There's a, there's, it's absolutely connected. Humility to our, our happiness. But here, here's where I struggle with it, and here's where like, I can see some of you are struggling with it. Humility is, a, is countercultural. Like, there's no one saying right now that the key to happiness is humility. You know what they're saying? The key to happiness is ego. The key to happiness is pride. The key to happiness is building yourself up, making yourself look really great. That's how you can be happy. In fact, we live in a culture that actually celebrates arrogance. We celebrate ego and pride. So let's think of the, your, your favorite celebrity. Okay, Who are the top celebrities in the world right now? Okay, all right. All of a sudden it turned interactive. I like it. Speaking of Beyonce, I'm going to leave it there. <laughs> Don't want to get all in trouble. Here's, here's the people that are the most popular. They're the ones on social media that love to promote themselves. They're the ones that love to talk about how talented they are, how great they are, how big they are, how big of a deal their life is. The people that talk the most and promote themselves are the people that we celebrate the most in our culture. They have the most followers. They have the most fans. Let's flip it around to sports, okay? Who are the most popular athletes today? Rhetorical question. Who are the most popular athletes today, okay? What, what character type are they? Is it the guy that plays in the NFL that catches a touchdown pass, runs over and hands the ball to the official, and then runs over to the sidelines? No, we don't even know that guy's name. Like, is he second string? Like, what is he doing out on the field? You know who we like? You know who makes great TV? The guy who catches the ball in the end zone, and then he taunts the guy that was guarding him, and then he spikes the ball, does an awesome end zone dance, then he runs, and he jumps into the crowd, and they hug him and embrace him, and he's talking about how great he is, and then he runs, where's the nearest camera? He runs over to the camera and starts talking about, I'm the greatest there ever was, nobody can guard me, did you see that catch, nobody's ever done that, woo! That's the guy we want to see. That's the most, that's the guy with the million dollar deal. The one that has all of the shoe sponsorships and is on all the commercials. We celebrate arrogance. Like our world is like, hey, if you want to be somebody, be filled with pride, have a huge ego, elevate yourself, talk about how great you are. Do that at work, do that at home, do that with your spouse, do that online, do it everywhere, and then people will love you. Then you'll be a big deal. Then you will actually be happy. We're conditioned today to actually celebrate arrogance. We applaud people that talk a lot about themselves and are just all about them in our culture, but yet Paul says that's a great way to be unhappy. In fact, you'll never be happy if all you care about is yourself. And so Paul, in, in Philippians chapter 2, actually gives us an outline of how we can be happy through humility. Again, I know this is countercultural. I know this seems crazy, but just let's just give it a shot here. I want to share with you four things today. If you're taking notes, you can flip over your worship guide and, and fill out the blanks. But there's four things that Paul says are a habit of happiness as it pertains to humility. Here's what he says in verse 3 of chapter 2. Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. The first key that Paul talks about here, the, the key to happiness through humility is this. Number one, we have to learn how to reduce pride. 
We have to learn how to reduce pride in our lives. Now, I went to seminary, and uh, in seminary I had to learn how to read Greek and Hebrew because that's the original language that the Bible was written in. So if you want to preach that, they want to teach you those original languages. So occasionally I'll run across an English phrase in Scripture that I'm like, I really want to know what the author really meant by that. And so in verse 3 here, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do nothing. And I started asking myself, what does that really mean? What does do nothing really mean? So I, I went and got my Greek Bible and I looked it up. And it's a, it's a really weird translation, so I want to be really clear. I want to say it slowly. Do you know what do nothing means? Do nothing. <laughs> Paid for a whole three and a half years of seminary for me to teach you that. It literally means do Nothing, right? No hidden meaning, nothing crazy, no like, well, there's some imagery here. No, 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 just do nothing. Do nothing in your life out of selfish ambition and vain conceit. Nothing in your marriage, nothing at home, nothing outside of the home, not with your kids, not with your friends, not with your neighbors. Do nothing. But there are actually two phrases in these verses that may be a little bit unfamiliar because we don't use them in our vernacular a lot. Selfish ambition and vain conceit. What does it mean to do nothing out of, out of those two things? Those aren't words that I use on a regular basis. And so I did want to look at what those are. And here, here's what it means. Selfish ambition translates like this. It's all about me. Paul says, do nothing with the attitude of it's all about me. Do you know anybody like that? Maybe you're here with them today. Don't look at them. It's all about me. It's my job. It's my money. It's my time. It's my fame. It's my career. It's my dreams. It's my fears. It's all about me. And Paul says, do nothing. You know how to reduce pride in your life? Stay away from selfish ambition. It's all about me. The second phrase that he says is, do nothing out of vain conceit. Vain conceit means this, I am always right. Do nothing out of, I am always right. And do nothing out of selfish ambition. It's all about me. A person that struggles with vain conceit says, I'm right and you're wrong. I'm right and there's no way that you can convince me that I'm wrong. I'm right and if you don't believe the same way I believe, it's obvious that you are an inferior intellect to me. Hmm? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. But here's what's interesting about vain conceit. Vain conceit says, I'm always right. But, but occasionally, what happens if you are right? Because like, occasionally for me, that happens. And, and like, I, I tend to get excited when that happens, especially with me and Elizabeth. I'm usually wrong with Elizabeth. And I like to celebrate when I'm right because it doesn't happen very often. But I believe, actually, that there's a way that you can be right and wrong at the same time. You know how that works? If you're right and you're rude, then you're wrong. That's kind of what I've understood in life. Like, if you're right and you're rude, then you're wrong. One of the most difficult things that we face in life is being right and not rubbing other people's faces in it. It's being right often and not bragging about it, not being arrogant about it, not being filled with vain conceit that I'm right this time. Let's face it, man. If you're going to live a life where you're convinced that you are always right, not only are you not going to be happy, but nobody's going to want to hang out with you. Like, you're going to lose all your friends. Because no one wants to hang around the person that thinks they're always right. No one wants to hang around the person that is always centered on themselves. They don't care about anybody but them. 
So Paul says, you want to be happy? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Number one, reduce pride in your life. Number two, Paul says, be humble. You want to know the key to happiness? Be humble. Not, I, know, I know culture says be arrogant and be all about yourself and be filled with pride, but Paul says actually be, be humble. The key to every successful marriage is humility. The key to every sex, successful relationship is humility. The key to your happiness at your job or at your work or with your neighbors, it's, it's humility. The, the ability to humble yourself and to be humble around other people. But here's the problem with the word humble. Uh, probably everybody in here has a def- different definition of what humble is. And, and I know I struggled with this for a long time. I had a poor definition of, of humble and humility, so I never wanted to be humble. Here was my definition. Maybe this is yours. My idea of being humble was I need to tear myself down. I need to make everybody know that I'm a loser, that I don't know what I'm doing, that, that like, you, there's no reason to, to like me or pay attention to me. I just need to be humble and kind of let everybody know that I'm, I make a lot of mistakes. And, but that, that, like, if, if that's the definition of humble, like, I don't want to be humble. I, I don't want that. I don't want to walk around and tell people I'm a loser. I don't want to walk around and say I have no idea what I'm doing my whole life. No wonder nobody wants to be humble. Actually, it's, it's really being humble has nothing to do with you. Check out what C.S. Lewis says. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's about thinking of yourself less. So it doesn't have anything to do with you tearing yourself down and everything to do with how you build each other up. It's not about looking down on me, but looking up on other people. So really, struggling with humility is not a struggle that we have with ourselves. It's a struggle that we have with the people that surround us. Because we know we're not going to tear ourselves down. But the problem is we're not willing to build each other up. We're not willing to think less of ourselves so that we can think more of other people. Humility is not devaluing me, but simply valuing others more. So when we talk about be humble... Like, understand, I'm not, I'm not saying you need to beat yourself up and call yourself a loser. You just need to stop thinking about yourself so much and start thinking about other people. That's Paul's third point in this text. He says, pay attention to others. Number one, reduce the pride. Number two, be humble. Number three, pay attention to others. I, I like in verse four, it says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you look towards the interests of of others. Here's the big problem with that. This may be the one that we struggle with the most. It's hard to pay attention to others because we live in a self-obsessed world. We live in a world where we are obsessed with ourselves. You want to know how I know? Because the latest product on your iPhone is not a camera that faces out, it's a new camera that faces in. We call that the selfie camera. Now, I'm not going to call people out in here right now and ask who's posted a selfie in the last week. But isn't that crazy what we do? I was looking through some old pictures at my house, and my mom is in none of the pictures because my mom was the one that was taking all of the pictures. So we have my brother and me and my dad, and we're having fun. But like, I don't have any pictures of my mom because she was the one behind the camera documenting all of the fun that our family was having. You want to see how crazy the world has flipped? When we go to a party... We don't take pictures of all of our friends. We turn the camera around and take a picture of us at the party. 
When we go on vacation, we don't take a picture of the beach. We take a picture of us sitting on the beach. What? Like, we don't, we don't care about the camera that faces out. We just want to get a good shot of us. We want people to look at us. We want people to see us. Don't worry about where I am. Look at me. Don't worry about what's going on. Look at this cute outfit I'm wearing. Did I just say cute outfit? Okay. That's what we live in a selfie-obsessed world where it's all about us. But did you know something? Did you know that there are needs all around you? Did you know at work there are people that are hurting and broken that work right beside you in the office? Did you know that place where you get your coffee every morning that there's people in that coffee shop that are hurting and broken and lost? Did you know you got neighbors that are in a really tough spot right now that could use the hope of Jesus? Here's the problem. Instead of looking and paying attention to others, we're consumed with ourself. And all we want to do is look at ourself and look at my needs and my wants and my desires, and it totally blinds us from the needs of others around us. Paul says, instead of only paying attention to you through humility, why don't you pay attention to others? Why don't you look at what's going on around you? See, here's what happens. We talked about this on week one. When, when you begin to pay attention to others, it actually creates a sense of gratitude in you because you see people that don't have as much as you do. You see people that aren't as happy as you are. You see people that are hurting and struggling, and you begin to see how fortunate you are. And with gratitude comes happiness. When you begin to pay attention to others, you begin to serve others. And there's a direct correlation to our service and our satisfaction when we put others in front of ourselves, it's a really rewarding sense that we get when we're meeting a need and actually jumping in and serving someone. It increases our joy. It increases our purpose. It increases our fulfillment. And ultimately, studies show, makes us more happy when we serve others instead of just being so focused on serving ourselves. Paul says, hey man, why don't you pay attention to others? serve others don't have the tunnel vision of just your life being all about you guaranteed a way for your life to be miserable is if you only care about you guaranteed you'll never be happy unless you begin to focus on other people and not just be focused on yourself paul winds it up in verse five in your relationship with each other have the same mindset as christ jesus the last blank is this act like Jesus. You want to know the key to happiness through humility? I know nobody's talking about humility today. I get it. But Paul says, act like Jesus. Act like Jesus and you'll be happy. Now, act like Jesus is one of those phrases like, okay, well, that's really easy to say, but what does that mean? Right? You remember the what would Jesus do bracelets that people used to wear? Okay, well, what would Jesus do? Well, that's kind of a loaded question. Like, I don't, I don't know. What, what does it mean to act like Jesus? What do I have to do? Well, Paul actually gives it to us in these next verses in verse 6 who Jesus being in very nature God did not consider himself equal with God something to be used to his own advantage you want to act like Jesus and be humble first thing is this don't live an entitled life if there's anybody that could have lived a life of entitlement you know who it would have been Jesus guy is the son of God man he used to live in heaven with God. If anybody could walk around with a puffed out chest, it would have been Jesus. Like, if anybody could have walked around acting like they were a big deal and entitled to things, it would have been Jesus. 
He would have looked at people and said, oh, I'm not serving you. You need to serve me. I'm the son of God. I don't know if you heard this. I'm kind of a big deal. You need to be bending over backwards for me. You need to be coming to me. You need to be doing for me. You need to be entertaining me and trying to make me happy and trying to be my friend. I don't, I, I'm the son of God. If anybody had the right to live an entitled life, it would have been Jesus. But that's not what he did. He chose, even though he was equal with God, he chose not to live an entitled life here on earth. It's one of the keys to humility and acting like Jesus. Verse, verse 7, rather, instead of living an entitled life, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. You want to be like Jesus? Look for ways to serve. Look for ways to serve. Don't lead an entitled life and look for ways to serve. Now, I want to clarify something because a lot of people serve, but there's a big difference between serving and looking for ways to serve. Okay? Here's what Jesus did. Jesus did not stay in one house and said, all right, well, if, you, if you guys need something, then you call me, find me, like send me an email, shoot me a text, whatever. I, I mean, maybe I'll be here. I don't know. Depends on my schedule. Uh, I don't know if it's going to work out or not. Jesus didn't just serve. Jesus looked for people to serve. He went out to find the blind and the deaf and the lame and the mute. He went out to find the orphans and the widows. He looked for people that were spiritually bankrupt and walked in the door and said, I want to serve you. I want to help you. I want to lead you. I want to, I want to show up and do something. I'm not going to wait for you to come to me. D did you know that we have opportunities to serve our city all around us? And I know they're like, a lot of good-hearted people, but I, I don't know if a lot of Christians are just waiting on a personal invite, right? Which, if you are, this is your personal invite. <laughs> but instead of just waiting until an opportunity fell in your lap, what if we were like Jesus and looked for ways that we could serve? Instead of waiting on someone to, to stand and like pull us by the by the arm and say, hey, would you be willing to do this? Could you help do this? Like, we need, there's a need. Could you jump in? Like, could you do? What if we were like Jesus and we began to look where we worked, where we played, where we ate, where we shopped, where we studied, where we hung out? What if we began to look for ways to serve people instead of just saying, well, I'll serve, but, but you're going to have to ask me and you're going to have to track me down and you're going to have to call me and probably email me twice and then I may come. Jesus actually went and looked for people to serve. That's how you act like Jesus. Humbled himself to be a servant. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Here's, here's another way we can be like Jesus. Do what's right even when it hurts. Do what's right even when it hurts. Now, if you don't know who Jesus is, let me give you kind of a 30-second crash course. Jesus didn't need a Savior. Jesus didn't sin and so he needed to pay for his sins. We need a Savior. We sinned. We separated ourselves from God. But here's what Jesus knew. Jesus knew that God sent him to the earth to live the life that you and I cannot live and to die the death that you and I should have died. For me and for you, not for him. The easy thing would have been for Jesus to step back and say, hey, they messed it up. They put the boat in the ditch. <laughs> they can get it out. But even when it was hard... Jesus did the right thing. I know why God sent me here. And that's to die a gruesome death on a cross for the salvation of the world. Even when it hurts, always do the right thing. 
So here's how it closes. Like, I'm the kind of guy where, like, show me the payoff, right? If I'm going to be humble, maybe you're more spiritual than I am, and you'll just do it because Jesus said to do it. But, like, where's the payoff, right? How am I going to, to succeed? What's in it for me? And, and here, here's what Scripture says. Paul leaves us with this. Last few verses. Therefore, God exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. That is so countercultural. Here's what happened. Jesus humbled himself, and then God elevated him. But that's not what we're taught. You know what we're taught? You better brag about yourself. You better talk about yourself. You better elevate yourself. You better, you better have a big ego, and then you'll finally be happy. You'll finally get what you want. Once you strive hard your whole life through personal pride to elevate yourself, then one day you'll get to the level that you want to be. But Scripture actually says if you'll humble yourself, then God will elevate your life. God will elevate your happiness. God will elevate your satisfaction. God will elevate your purpose and your fulfillment in life. So here's your, here's your choice. You can either continue to stay on the same road that you're on, self-promoting, arrogance, egotistical, trying to make yourself look great in hopes of one day having a good reputation or having a bunch of friends and finally being happy. But I don't know about you, I'm tired of doing that. Scripture says we can actually humble ourselves and God will lift us up. God will take your life to a place that you could never take it. God can give you satisfaction and happiness that you could never achieve on your own. And it's not through you being on the wheel, running the rat race of personal pride, but it's about humbling yourself in front of God. Humbling yourself and saying, all right, God, you take my life where you want it to go. If you want to do something that no one's ever seen before, then I'll put it in your hands. I'll lay it out right in front of you. I'll humble myself, and God, I'll watch you do what only you can do. I love that. I don't know about you, but that, that, that sounds a lot better to me than trying to do it on my own. That sounds so much better for my purpose and my joy and my fulfillment, ultimately my happiness, if I'd be willing just to say, all right, God, I will kneel and let you do the work. I'll submit my heart and my life to you. Pride leads to conflict, and conflict leads to unhappiness. But humility leads to peace, and peace leads to happiness. Let me leave you with the the text from the New Living Translation. It almost serves as like a, a bullet list, a punch list that Paul says. Here's, here's how it reads. Paul says, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and purpose. Here's how you do it. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of yourselves not as much as you think of other people. Don't look out for your own interests. But take an interest in others as well. In verse 5, have the same attitude of Christ Jesus. There you go. The key to happiness through humility. It can happen for you today.